Blog Talk Radio. Week on the Blog Talk Radio and Affiliate Networks. This episode is brought to you by Health Innovation Media, monitoring and informing the journey to a sustainable healthcare economy. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show, and in the virtual studio is my colleague, Fred Goldstein, principal co-host, and hey, Fred. Hey, Greg. Good afternoon. How are things out in San Diego? Oh, never a complaint. Never a complaint here in San Diego. For those of you not familiar with Fred, he's a veteran healthcare executive and the president of Accountable Health, LLC, a Jacksonville-based Florida consulting firm, and the past chair and current board member of the Population Health Alliance, also known as PHA. He is known on Twitter as at F.S. Goldstein. Fred's experience spans hospital and health system administration, HMO general management, and is a founder of a disease management company. My background includes thought leadership and strategy consulting for hospitals, health systems, capitated medical groups, IPAs, PHOs, and MSOs. I publish and principally author ACOWatch.com, HealthInnovationMedia.com, and most recently, latest stake in the ground of precision medicine via PrecisionMedicine.center. Do follow me on Twitter by Two Health Guru. Today, we continue coverage of issues in the emerging population health space including evidence-based best practices with key thought leaders, innovators, academicians, and best-in-class vendors. Our, our guests today include Randy Williams, MD, the CEO of Pharos Innovations, and Jessica Cunningham, RN, BSN, who's the Population Health PHN Manager for Clinical Populations at Healtheast Care Systems. Pharos Innovations provides chronic care management services to hospitals, payers, and ACOs. Their programs incorporate their proprietary Pharos platform, patient engagement outreach, provider engagement support, care coordination support, and marketing outreach. The Pharos platform encompasses algorithm-based population targeting, daily surveys, care manager alerts, care manager coordination, patient feedback, in an analytics-driven process. As providers move to value-based payments and ACO structures, it's been well-documented that ACOs have not been very successful in achieving cost savings. Today, we'll explore with Randy and Jessica what that is and some of the ways to improve results. So, Fred, with that introduction, over to you. Help us get to know both Randy and Jessica. Thank you so much, Greg. And uh, Randy and Jessica, it's a pleasure to have you both on the show. Thanks, Fred. Thanks, Greg. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely happy to be here. Yeah, it's really uh, uh, great to get into this topic. You know, Randy, we've known each other for a while. You've uh, been building this company for quite a bit of time. We got some introduction as to sort of the specifics of your service. Can you talk sort of on a larger sense of what Pharos Innovations brings to ACOs? Um, and obviously, as Greg mentioned, ACOs have struggled. So what have you learned as you brought these services to them and some ways that perhaps they could be a little bit more successful? 
Sure. And uh, it's always great to get back together again with good friends. So thanks for all your hard work and the opportunity to share a little bit of our story today. Uh, Fred, we've always had this perspective that um, providers uh, who are close to the patient relationship might be the best positioned to manage risk and to ultimately um, improve outcomes for populations. And in the ACO movement, that uh, perspective and vision are starting to come to fruition. Um, we actually uh, had an opportunity that dates clear back to the mid-2000s, um, 2005 roughly, when the very first foray into accountable care uh, was taken on through something called the Medicare Physician Group Practice Demonstration Projects. And we were very fortunate of the 10 organizations to call two of those entities our clients. And in that um, environment, we had a lot of learning, a ton of opportunity to really start from scratch, understand what it meant for a provider system to come together around managing a population, both clinically and from a financial risk perspective. And uh, it was through those years, uh, 2005 roughly to 2009, that we cut our professional eye teeth on helping providers uh, identify those people that were high risk or might be um, suffering from avoidable hospital admissions or readmissions, um, help them understand how to identify through claims data and clinical data who those people were, and then reach out and engage them in an attempt to help patients uh, achieve better self-care uh, better clinical status and ultimately stay healthy and independent and out of the hospital. And doing that um, also all while trying to help our customers uh, structure care management programs and care management infrastructure to be able to do this work efficiently and scalably and then ultimately in a way that would be both clinically and economically sustainable. Um, I would say that that early learning was parlayed into some opportunity to help craft what's now the uh, MSSP, uh, Medicare Shared Savings Program, um, as well as the uh, Pioneer and now NextGen ACO models, as well as some of the new um, models of ACOs that some of the commercial payers and even more recently some of the employers are starting to put into place with their providers. Um, and fortunately for us, some of that learning has led to some early wins, and uh, our friends at Health East and their effort were, uh, is a great example of, of that, that kind of uh, opportunity to take what they were already doing, help them focus it, and take it to the next level from a, an impact perspective and achieve um, shared savings in the ACO format. So many of these ACOs that I mentioned earlier have struggled um, in terms of achieving any shared savings. And I know, you know, that there are a lot of companies that do analytics and can rich stratify your population and develop the costly folks, but you've really also gotten heavily into how do you engage these people because that really is where the rubber meets the road. How, can you talk a little bit about what you do in that area and how what kind of services you provide there? Yeah, I think you're right, Fred. Um, the the big um, aha moment for us was really making data relevant and actionable for our provider customers to be able to know which individual patients needed care coordination or triage or just simply reinforcement of education or reassurance that they were doing fine and didn't need to take that trip to the emergency room. 
Um, and so the way we felt important to do that was to actually engage the patient themselves as part of the care team. Uh, that's not easy by any stretch, but what we found is that with the right technology, uh, it's actually accomplishable. And um, what we've done is we've structured a software uh, system called Telassurance that um, is used by patients who are at high risk or rising risk. Uh, and these are the folks who typically have chronic diseases or might be transitioning out of the hospital and heading home. Um, these are folks who are obviously at risk of being um, readmitted to the hospital or experiencing higher than normal uh, utilization rates. And what we found is that the vast majority of the reasons that those things are happening to these populations and these patients is because the care team that wants to do something about that aren't uh, aware of the challenge and issue that might be arising. And fundamentally, that's because the issues that occur happen in the day-to-day -day life and setting of living life that uh, we don't easily have visibility to unless the patient tells us about it. So this software captures, in a sense, a daily visibility or a daily check-in uh, from these patients. It's patient-reported information. It's captured through whatever communication interface the patient prefers to use. And that's a very demographically um, driven uh, issue, it seems, but we offer different ways for people to use the programs and soft access the software, everything from an interactive voice and voice recognition interface to uh, a mobile app. And so uh, what we find is that if we can get folks to start reporting in and then we can use some um, carrots and sticks to help reinforce that daily reporting, uh, we can actually learn fairly quickly which individual patients are, in a sense, raising their hand and saying, hey, today I've got a problem with arranging a ride to the doctor's office, or, hey, I've got a problem today with my diabetes being out of control, or, hey, I went home from the hospital and haven't dropped off my prescriptions yet or picked them up. And with that kind of visibility and that kind of insight, our customers, care managers can then target their interventions and their outreach and, and their care coordination to the right patient with the right issues at the right time. That's fantastic. You're really getting into this whole area of where an individual's life, as I used to say, gets in their way of them focusing on the health. So if you can solve those life problems by knowing about them first, then you can get them to begin to do these things they need to do to get better outcomes. That's great. So, Jessica, you're at CHN. Now, who is CHN, and I, and this is a group that uses the uh, the uh, federal system? Correct. So, Community Health Network um, is a collaborative MSSP ACO of Health East Care System, uh, which is a uh, – we have 14 primary care clinics. We have specialty care, uh, three short-term acute care hospitals, one long-term acute care hospital, um, and Entira Family Practice um, is a primary care only um, provider of services, both located here in the Twin Cities area of St. Paul, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I'm sorry, so, I lost back of the question. You were just looking into what is Community Health Network and who, who, yeah. who makes so, up the population. Yeah. Right, so that's great. So, you know, one of the questions that always comes up when you're looking at, at implementing something like this is, What's the physician response? How are they going to work with the system? Is it going to impact their day-to-day -day life? 
Um, so can you talk a little bit about how the physicians accepted this or what you did to help them move into this kind of a program? Absolutely. So physician engagement is as important, if not more important, than patient engagement because it's difficult to get to that end-user patient engagement unless you have first engaged uh, your providers, which um, can be a challenge and that can be a a delicate balance. And and to be honest with you, this is a learning journey. And when we first started with Pharos Innovations um, about three years past, Um, it's been a learning opportunity. And so we have two separate health organizations um, with um, each clinic has individual culture within it. And so um, we've learned along that journey that you can never over-communicate. And um, some of the the techniques that we have found to be most useful in engaging our providers is um, I call it touring the clinics. And it is time-consuming, but it is worth every minute you spend to just head out to provider meetings and just get in front of providers on a very regular basis and and speak to what is what is teleassurance, what is that patient experience, share some patient experience stories, um, share ongoing data that reflects this is it's working. It's helped us to achieve our shared savings. It's continuing to decrease our inpatient um, and ED utilization. We continue to have uh, upwards at 90% to 92% patient satisfaction. Um, and just staying in front of providers, keeping this present, um, and um, really just putting the time in to engage. Um, it's it's important that providers are aware of this so that when patients are coming in for clinic visits or outreaching their care team through other methods of my charter or um, telephonically, uh, that the care teams are aware of this program and that they can endorse it and support the patient's efforts in their daily commitment to their chronic disease. Yeah, so what sort of information is the is the provider getting from the system, say, on a daily or weekly basis, and then what sort of interaction do they then generate from that, like to a care manager, et cetera, or how does that work? Oh, sure. Yep. So the the patients interact with um, with the vehicle, Teleassurance, which Randy had stated, um, majority of this population within this ACO um, is our Medicare population. So the majority of them um, do use the telephonic communication to, to uh, report out on their on their daily baseline. The the patient's self-reported data is um, then generated, um, would alert the care team, alert the registered nurses at each organization that they have patient that may need nurse to reach out to them to communicate with them today to see what is it, what's going on with this patient, triage that patient further. Majority of these flags or these um, patient variances, nurses, RNs are able to independently um, within their scope of licensure assess that patient and make absolutely safe recommendations, whether it be they just need additional reinforcement, education, maybe we need to make a same-day appointment, um, what have you. Most of the patients, the nurses can independently uh, manage those. For the the only additional, and I, I don't even want to call it additional burden because by the time a physician would have gotten this otherwise, it would have been much more labor-intensive for them. But where the physician's involvement on a daily basis would be is for that small subset of patients that uh, is experiencing a situation that the nurse feels that she, he or she would need input from the provider uh, 
for best care of that patient. Uh, those, uh, it would be tailored to the individual system on that communication. Here at HealthEast, we use EPIC as our EHR, and all, nearly all communication with the physicians for these patients would be through messaging in the EHR. So you've essentially solved one of the complaints we've heard over and over again. If we start connecting with these patients and begin to get data from feeds from their home or from themselves, we're just going to get inundated. But through technology, it sounds like, as well as then using that nurse as a first step, you've limited that concern that it's just going to be a flood of information to doctor that they're not going to have time to do anything else. Is that in effect what's happening? That's exactly, and to be honest, because that was, as you stated, when we first started going out and touring clinics and and, uh, elbow-to-elbow support with the physicians, that was the number one concern that they had had was just what you had stated. And that's one of those that it just takes time for them to see that actually it's just the opposite. We're finding that we are needing to generate um, lists for the providers to make them aware of the patients that are participating in the program. And it's what we were finding was is physicians would say, oh, I don't have any patients on teleassurance, or, oh, you know, I just have one or maybe two patients on teleassurance, when in reality that provider could have a dozen or better patients on teleassurance. Um, and they're not aware because that patient is so well managed, it's the, the squeaky wheel that gets their attention. So if the patient is not needing to call the care team, go through the call center, route every message to the provider, that would unfortunately be the patient's experience if they were not connecting with the nurse every time that they were um, have a, having a variance from their baseline health status. And so mm-hmm. it's actually, but that's one of those um, learnings that really just takes time um, for the physicians to come to that to that realization. And what did you, you mentioned, you know, they may have 12 patients or, or a certain number. That, what do you use for selection criteria? Are there disease states you're particularly managing? Is it cost? Is it some other um, tool or stratification you're using to identify who you want to follow? Yeah, so um, we do not use cost as a stratification um, and we focus on disease states, so congestive heart failure, COPD, um, high-risk diabetics, so those would be patients with an A1C greater than 8, or they have diabetes and a very high-risk comorbidity. For patients that are discharged from our hospitals that uh, we enroll in a 30-day very focused uh, experience, those patients can also have additional diagnosis of um, MI or pneumonia. Uh-huh. And then your care managers, they're typically nurses. Is that who you're using? They are. And so um, I can speak to – so our nurses are li- licensed in both Minnesota and Wisconsin and uh, because we we do serve a good number of patients, and we have cardiac uh, clinic as well in Wisconsin, and so our nurses are licensed in both states. And I can speak to Minnesota and Wisconsin that I would advocate that this should always be a registered nursing role, that these patients are uh, triggering often for clinical symptoms that should be assessed in recommendations, um, and at least in these states, that assessment piece um, really should be at the registered nursing level. Mm-hmm. And you're 
And are, do you have these nurses located in the clinics? Are they dispersed? Are they in a, a, a central location? Are they working from home? How does that work? Yeah, um, we do have them uh, nurses actually in the in the clinics, which. Again, that would be another, if I were to give a learning to other organizations that may be considering this, I can't speak highly enough, that you really want the nurses that are working with your patients as close to the care team as possible. You want them to truly be an integrated, respected member of that team. And um, when, when folks are, are centralized or removed from where the majority of the care delivery is happening, I, the further you get from that care team, the further removed the intervention is. And, and it starts to feel more something that we're doing to physicians or doing to their patients. That's how it's perceived as opposed to this is a collaborative team approach um, and this, this nurse is part of your care team. Uh-huh. And do you have, I know, you know, I've seen numbers all over the place when I've talked to various organizations around what it takes for a care manager or how many uh, patients that they can handle. Do, do you have a number around that that you use for your staffing? Yeah, we do. Um, and that's one area where I am very pleased. So other care interventions and, and other initiatives that um, I've led in the past, and, and we have initiatives currently where I can not have more than 80 to 100 patients per reg- at a registered nursing level on, on a panel. The teleassurance allows me to comfortably um, have about 230 to 240 patients per RN panel. Um, And the reason that we can do that is that we're targeting the nurses only reaching out to the patients that are identified are going to benefit from that interaction at that time as opposed to many other care interventions you really are reaching out to the patients. Um, you need to reach out to all of them, and you don't know before you pick up the phone or interact with that patient whether or not that patient really needed that interaction that day. Right. The technology, it, it's great to hear you talk about this because the, the technology has made the staff more efficient. But at the same time, you know, I, I've talked to care management has always had some issues. You know, sometimes does this stuff work? And in those cases where I've seen it struggle, I mean, I was talking to one ACO, and they were they, their numbers assigned to a care manager were in the thousands. And I was just saying to myself, you know, how do you how do you even expect to move the needle with that? But you've obviously been able to get efficient, but have enough staff to do something. So, can you talk some about the outcomes you've seen from the program? Right. Um, I guess I'd speak a little bit more, um, just to elaborate a little bit further, a little bit deeper onto that, looking at care management and panel sizes in general. It's a um, um, strong advocate for nurses working at the top of their licensure. And so many of these patients that um, are identified through this MSSP population that are within the cohorts that I had earlier mentioned, a lot of where these folks are needing support certainly is within nursing scope and related to daily symptoms of their chronic disease. But a lot of what folks really need is around social isolation, psychosocial needs that that patient has. And um, part of our care model is um, our, both organizations are uh, certified as um, healthcare homes or uh, patient-centered medical homes. And so 
offsetting and working in close collaboration with community health workers uh, for those patients that we feel some of what the patient, if, if what they really need is psychosocial in nature and they need that support, having the right care team member support those needs. And so um, especially with that infrastructure in place, the nurses are um, very comfortable with a panel size of around 240 patients. That's, that's really great to hear. And, and uh, having been a proponent of community health workers and, and having Promethoris and the disease management company to run and other uh, lay folks to help do those areas that don't necessarily require a license, it sounds great. Um, give that to you, Randy. You, you've created um, this company. You've got a lot of neat stuff going on with ACOs. Where do you see Ferris uh, Innovations going next? What are some of the things that excite you about uh, the changes in the payment system or the different things coming through in technology? Well, I think that's uh, always an ever-changing ever question, but at least as of today, one of the things that Jess mentioned, I think I'll just reiterate, and that is that what we've seen as we've helped organizations bring their care management programs to scale uh, is, is really how complicated it is to transform an organization or a care model and how much it takes to just sort of get the organization through that journey. Um, and I would say a lot of that boils down to things like change management and communication, things that Jess has mentioned. Another critical feature, I think, is as we start to uncover what's actually going on in the life of patients between visits or between care management interactions, it's really, really clear that a lot of what drives unnecessary or avoidable utilization, as Jess also mentioned, has to do with social determinants of health, uh, self-care challenges, things that um, have a lot more to do with non-clinical information that needs to be gathered and triaged and appropriately presented back to the care team. And so we've really begun to, in a sense, genericize the type of information we capture and the types of programs we roll out so that it's less about you know, an individual with heart failure and more about a patient who has a set of issues and challenges, one of which might be their diabetes or their COPD, et cetera. Um, and I guess from a technology perspective, we're always very intrigued with um, where technology can leverage uh, human services um, and care models. Um, we, in particular, are always paying attention to the human-machine interface and as uh, we've found, we've been able to get people to participate very, very consistently and be actually very truthful in how they report how they're doing, even though it's a software system. But that software is a human voice recording or a human voice prompt that, that's interacting with them. And, and there's something very special and unique about that um, sort of machine human interface that helps draw people in, engage them, and and help them be forthcoming with how they present their information back. So I think that, you know, where this goes in the future could include things like avatars, artificial intelligence, um, clearly mobile technologies, et cetera. So uh, we're, we're always dabbling in, in, in trying to stay on the front edge of that as well. It, yeah, it's an exciting time with all the new new tech coming and the new thinking, the machine learning, et cetera, being being brought into this population health care management space. But at the end of the day, you know, it's still you're, you're you're working with a human being and you're trying to help them get healthy. And one of the things you you mentioned um, was, and it sounds like 
you know, it's not just a software system you bring, but a, a way of thinking about care management. And did, Brandy, that really come from you being a physician and what you learned in medical school that you then said, hey, here's how we should look at this and bring this to providers? Yeah, I think part of it for sure came from that perspective. Certainly a lot of it came from talking to the folks that are out there actually taking care of patients every day. I can remember, you know, thinking about these issues with my own uh, wife, who's a nurse, and uh, with a friend who's a pharmacist, and just trying to understand in the day-to-day life of folks who have to sort of execute the orders that physicians give, you know, what is it that we're running into? And frankly, the, the most fun story I tell goes all the way back to the 1990s when uh, we were literally thinking about, you know, why is it that my 95-year-old grandma had issues and challenges with her health and what could we do to help support her? And if you talk to people and ask them questions, you find out that a lot more of this has to do with, you know, helping them, in a sense, create a rational healthcare system or team around them. And so for us, this was always about how do you glue that together with technology? But at the end of the day, it's all about the people on the team and the processes they use to provide good care. Well, thank you so much. With that, I want to thank you, uh, Randy and Jessica, for joining us today. And I will turn it back over to Greg. Well, that will have to be the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank our guest today, Randy Williams, CEO, Dr. Randy Williams, CEO of a company called Sparrows Innovations, and Jessica Cunningham, RNVSN from Health East Care Systems, Sparrows Innovation, excuse me. We're going to give you a follow-up here, which is you can follow Dr. Williams on the web via www.ferrosinnovations.com and on Twitter as well via at Ferros Health. Track with Jessica's activities over at Healthy at www.healthy.org and on Twitter as well via at Healthy. So until we meet again here on Pop Health Week for Greg Goldstein, this is Greg, Greg Masters saying bye now. Okay.